For Tandem Launch, I'm Jermaine Murray, and this is The Launch, a podcast all about tech startups. Today, Stefan, Fred, and Sahil. These are the three names of Soundskirt's three founders, each from their own background and each with a new focus on how to change the way microphones are accessible to the general public. Through their innovations, Soundskirt has been able to figure out how to get studio-level quality that fits right in your pocket. This is their story. So, you know, Sanskrit is a, we're, we're an audio company that's developing um, a new type of highly directional microphone that's super small, um, small enough to fit into um, consumer devices, things like your phone, your ear pods, your smart speakers, uh, things of that sort. And um, it, it's really, you know, inspired by some research uh, from Professor Ron Miles over at the University of Binghamton, who kind of... Um, you know, spent quite a bit of time looking at nature and, and how actually insects and whatnot hear sound and using that as inspiration into his uh, his different microphone designs. So, um, yeah, you know, it, it, we're building a, a basically a, a small microphone that can kind of outperform the traditional microphone arrays that you might see in your devices like your Amazon Alexa um, and in a much smaller form factor uh, with, you know, less power, less computation, less complexity, and the ability to really kind of reject any uh, background noise um, and, and, and kind of isolate a, a sound that you want to listen into, whether it's for a conference call, speech recognition, or, or things of that sort. So, uh, you know, listeners will note that the quality in this podcast has gone up because I switched microphones. But are you saying that if I had a sound skirt microphone from beforehand, it would have been easier for me to operate the podcast? It would have been clear audio and um, we might not have had to suffer some of like the the, the setbacks that we have from a technical side uh, point of view? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually pretty convinced that it would sound much better. Actually, if I if I can be a little bit picky here, I can see that you have a lot of reverb prob- in your room. Probably you're recording in a very small room, like a closet or something. And, I, I am recording <laughs> in the closet. Yeah, and probably the, the the microphone that you capture captures all the the reflections uh, of the walls, so that makes you sound a bit like you're you know recording in a shower or something. And if you had like a directional system, you can really just focus on the sound emitted from your voice. Then you could cancel out all those reflections, and that would remove kind of this metallic sounding effect that you have on your voice right now um, so that's why you know that's I guess the piece of the value prop that we bring to the table is the ability to zoom in in a specific direction and only capture sound that's interesting and remove all of the other sound and reflections that you do not care about if I jump in there too you know um, um, you know all professionals they, they use a variety of type of microphones but often they use directional microphones large directional microphones and you can make large directional microphones because of the physics um but you know now and, and you know right now we're all using omnidirectional microphones right on my i'm using the the apple headphones fred's got a headset sahil's i think he's using his laptop right so it's, it's like it's like we're, you know, if we do the analogy with cameras, it's like we're all using cameras, but we don't have the ability to zoom in on anything. So, right, imagine trying to do photography or filming without the ability to zoom. It's a lot trickier. And that's kind of what's happening in the consumer world where there are no directional microphones. So in ter- so are we saying that your, uh, your microphone will enable average consumers to get almost studio level quality on their like homemade videos or, you know, even podcasts, for instance? 
I think that's sort of the the end goal or kind of what we're pushing towards. Um, you know, if you just look at microphone technology over the years, um, sort of the small microphones that you see in your phone, um, the quality has really been improving over the last decade. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can kind of push the boundaries of that and, and give you exactly what you said, you know, that studio level quality um, straight from your mobile device. So, uh, Fred, I have a question. I see here that the word bio-inspired is, is, has been attached to SoundSkirt. Can you give us an idea or some uh, uh, give us some more insight at exactly what is bio-inspired and how it all fits into to SoundSkirt? Um, yeah, sure. Um, you know, um, most microphone right out there, actually, every microphone out there is sensing sound through uh, membranes. So uh, you can think of it as a little trampoline. And uh, when the air goes through, the, the particles push on the trampoline and that creates a deflection. And that's what sense and that's what creates the audio signal. Uh, but it, it turns out that um, this is actually inspired by the way humans uh listen to, to sound, right? We have like those uh, tympanic membrane in our ears and it mm. get, it's getting deflected when the when the sound goes in. Uh, and our inventor, Ron Myers, actually got interested in a completely different paradigm. He got interested in the way insects hear sound. And um, insects like mos- mosquitoes, they use the hair on their body to, to hear the sound. And what they're sensing is not like the push of air on membranes, it's the flow of air across those hairs. So, uh, you know, Ron got interested really in this mechanism and it, it turns out, you know, that using the, this hair paradigm, you can get actually much more sensitivity. So that means you got you end up with a mechanical system that reacts much better to sound waves. And uh, when you do all the math involved with that, you realize that it, using this concept, you can do very small form factor sound capture system that are directional, so who can zoom in on specific direction, and also has a super high quality quality of sound out of it. Um, I'm, Stefan, you might want to add something on top of this, maybe. I think you nailed it. Uh, you hit the nail on the head there, Fred. Um, yeah, it's just we're we're revisiting the physics of microphones, um, and that's what's allowing us to you know to to basically change the paradigm in terms of of sensing sound, um, and yeah, I think that's by looking at how, you know, small insects um, can sense sound um, directionally, um, we can inspire our own microphone to, to do the same thing, right? If, if they can do it, we, we can also do it as well. Um, and no one has really looked at that carefully. So that's where we're headed. I feel like from um, uh, and, and, you know, feel free to either, either of you to, uh, to jump in on this, but I, I feel like, um, microphones in a lot of ways are similar to like displays in the sense that human beings uh, underestimate, like generally generally speaking, uh, us as like general folks in society, we underestimate just how prevalent microphones are in our world. Um, with your technology and with your product, are you aiming to go after markets that um, is your market or your clientele? Are they more in the B2B space or are you trying to make something that goes directly to consumers? And if so, what kind of product would that materialize in? Um, so we're, we're definitely selling uh, B2B. Um, so the idea would be that, you know, we're going to get these kind of like a, a fabulous semiconductor model. So, you know, we're going to design these MEMS 
chips. Um, we're going to work with an industrial foundry to get them built, um, assembled, packaged, tested, all that, all that stuff. And then um, sell it directly to OEMs. So, you know, the same folks that are making, uh, you know, your smart speakers, your, your, your TVs, your phones, your mobile devices, um, conference devices, things like that. Um, and, and, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, I think when you look at what's been happening with the voice interface, it's pretty crazy how much, um, some of these devices and and interfaces are taken off. Like I I saw uh, a market report that was saying in a, in a few years, there's going to be more voice assistants than people in this world. Um, the, the, the volume is just massive, right? Um, they're predicting almost 13 billion MEMS microphones being sold every single year, um, you know, by, by 2024. Um, so when you think about it, you know, everybody is thinking about how they can attach a microphone to their devices and, and kind of use that new voice interface. You kind of think about what happened with a touchscreen, right? Everyone went from mechanical buttons to the touchscreen. And now I guess we think that we're starting to see the same sort of thing happen with the voice interface now. Yeah, and I think uh, would you uh, say that would you say that the rise of like your your voice, the, the Google Assistants, your Alexas, your Cortanas uh, played a role in uh, this emphasis in in microphones or like microphones being able to come to the stage now? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, smart speakers saw massive growth rates when they first came out. Um, I, I think the first. Echo came out in 2015, uh, around that time. Um, And I feel like that's really what drove all this research into microphone arrays and and sort of kind of proved out the the use of the voice interface. To be honest, I don't I don't know how true it is, but I remember seeing a a report that was saying stuff like um, that the smart speaker actually has seen uh, faster adoption rates than the smartphone when it first came out. Uh, not, not saying that it's going to get as big as a smartphone by any means, um, but you look at, at smart speakers and also like your hearable devices, like your AirPods and things like that. Um, and the amount of devices being sold every year is just increasing um, at, at crazy high rates. Okay, so let's let's kind of uh, let's scale back and walk back to your journey, guys. How does it, how does it feel to be the founders of your own startup? Uh, you know, it, it's actually funny when we first met at Tandem Launch. You, you're you're you were actually the first company I was exposed to to go through like a Series A and going through the ups and the downs. Um, and you know, you guys, I think somebody owes me an island when you guys hit it big time, so Hill. <laughs> <laughs> but how, how has the journey been so far? Like, uh, like let's 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 uh, let's get your your thoughts on it, Fred. Like, how would you describe your journey from um, you know before you went on this tech journey to like where you are now? What have been some peaks and valleys? Wow, <laughs> I I guess we could fill a book on that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think it's um, you know it's really been interesting because I think we the three of us were convinced from the start that this was a, a technology worth you know, uh, developing, right? And I guess what was hard is to convince people uh, around us to support us, to join us, and uh, you know, to make the dream come true. Um, and you know, as, as we worked on the, on the technology, it became, we were 
able to articulate it better, why it's better, why it's different than other existing technologies. And that really uh, helped us to you know, bring a team. You know, we got like an amazing CEO. Uh, we got some great hires recently. And, you know, we have a team that we are proud of. And, uh, and you know, the thing is, uh, at the end of the day, we, we, we managed to bring Bring, bring all that together but there were some hard times like when people you know, start to doubt yourself you know like we we had some trouble manufacturing the first prototype and you know we were kind of promising everybody oh it's going to be next week it's going to be next week and uh, it actually take uh, a, a few weeks to go there and uh, you know uh, in, when you you know we're just waiting when there is like some hardships like this uh, you just you start to doubt right I mean you're convinced but now you start to doubt say yeah what if what if we can't build it what if it's too crazy what if there is something we've you know we've not looked into or something like that and uh, it can be re- really distressful at times right um and i guess that's why you need to have a you know a team that's that that's great you know like people like almost friends and stuff that you know that you can really talk together and uh, and you know convince yourself together that this is worth going through and uh, so you know to me that would be some of the values we had right when uh, when the product when we couldn't build the first mems for for, for reasons that were not related to the technology just because we couldn't find the people to help us there and uh, i guess yeah the peak is to me one of the best peak is when we got uh, bruce our ceo to join who's an amazing person uh, we managed to convince him to join us in this kind of crazy journey uh, and uh, and he's been great you know and uh, i think we we all feel good about that and yeah that would be like a couple examples from my side so you met, you did say something interesting, um, and uh, it, it can be very easy for people to assume that when a startup raises money, they're they're quote unquote an overnight success, but they're missing all the stuff that goes in the background. So you mentioned you had some trouble getting your first prototype out or manufactured. I, I imagine that there must have been a time where like the mood was kind of down, and you guys were in that sort of valley. Who's usually the first person that to, that you guys turn to to either uh, you know. Bring bring some levity or like to break a joke or break the tension, you know, do you have that kind of dynamic? And if so, which person do you usually count on to, to bring the jokes to the team? I think it's Hill. Definitely um, Sahil. <laughs> Sahil, like, uh, you know, but, it, but it's, it's contagious. And I, I think it, that is actually key, right? Is, is keeping your mood, you know, I mean, you don't have to be uh, jumping with joy, but, at least sufficiently high to keep making progress, right? Because actually, if I if I look back, almost everything important that we did dragged on and it was tough. It's like nothing just worked out smoothly. Or, I, you know, I, I don't know. I think of when we first got the IP from the university, that took forever. You know, we had to go through two rounds of negotiation back and forth. It was stressful. There were road trips. We weren't sure if it was going to work out. Then, you know, making making uh, the MEMS chip, that, that took forever, right? We had the we had our ideas ready and then we couldn't build them because it's really hard to, to build, uh, you know, silicon devices, especially, you know, when you're just, you know, we're, we're, th- we're three guys out of school or recently out of work, right? We, um, we don't know how to build silicon. We, we can draw it on a computer. That part's easy. Um, and then, uh, yeah, getting the CEO, right. We, we had some really uh, other good candidates were excited, then they didn't work out. Um, so everything seemed to be tough. I, I mean, I really, now when, when there's something we're trying to do, I, I see it more as like a mountain that we need to climb, right. It's not just going to be a little hill that you, you, you run up. It's going to be a mountain. You got to plan it out. And it's really important to, 
to still have a good time when things aren't going well, to be able to crack jokes. I don't know, to what Fred and Sahil just got a beer tap, uh, you know, in the office. There's no beer in it, but, you know, you got to have fun. If, if you're not having fun, you're not going to. So it. are you guys for like there when you when you were in the office for therapy purposes, you know, a stressful meeting is somebody going over to the beer tap and imaginarily like pouring a drink? <laughs> Well, unfortunately, we got it the week before the virus hit. So, uh, you know, hopefully we'll be able to exercise it once uh, once things start opening back up. Oh, man. I, you know what, Sahil? I, it's, it's just interesting because you, you guys kind of mentioned, you know, some of the road trips you had to do. And, and it sounds like there was there were a lot of moments where you had to go in person in order to, to move to the next to move to the next goalpost. Now that uh, COVID has kind of hit and we're in this like lockdown remote situation. Have you guys been able to adapt? Have you been able to survive? And what kind of difficulties have you faced during this time of transition? Yeah, um, I mean, I for sure miss miss the travel and stuff. You know, I I, I for sure am somebody like um, after a certain amount of time, I I like to get out there and, and kind of get away from my computer, my desk. So in, in that sense, it's definitely been a little bit unfortunate. But um, you know. I, I think we figured it out, like, you know, just through video conferencing, having regular calls with everyone, um, you know, we're still able to collaborate and, and kind of work together towards a goal. You know, I, I, to, to some extent, it was interesting because when, when like the the quarantine first started, um, the fabs all shut down. So we stopped building devices and, and whatnot. And we kind of just like took a step back and started rethinking a lot of what we were doing in terms of the actual like technical engineering and design. Um, I, I know I've had like hour long conversations with Stefan, you know, just like questioning, why are we making this choice? Why are we doing that? And I, I think overall, we've really come to understand our own technology a lot better and, and um, kind of have a direction of um, some some changes we want to make that we think will be really exciting. Um, that being said, I mean, it definitely hurts us too, right? Um, we, we can't fabricate devices and that's key for us, right? In this coming round is building actual MEMS chips and getting some samples that we can actually start showing people um, to get them excited. So um, some of those activities are definitely on hold, but, you know, we're doing what we can. Um, you know, a lot of people, uh, a lot of people are affected by this whole thing and, you know, I still feel kind of fortunate because we, we were able to raise funding right before everything hit. Um, and, and, you know, we have runway to keep us afloat um, throughout the year. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I guess I can't really complain. So in terms of um, advice, looking back with hindsight, you know, if you let's say you couldn't tell your past self that, hey, this pandemic is happening, you know, go do some world saving stuff. You know, let's say you, you couldn't say that to yourself, but you were able to give them your, your past self some insight, like maybe yourself back in January, some insight on, you know, what they should be doing, where like some best practices to do now just to future proof the business. You know, what does that look like? What comes to mind? What, what do you wish you could have done um, differently? See. I think there were a couple points and this was especially, you know, when we were starting, when we had our ideas of what the prototype should be and we wanted to make them, um, we got caught in this loop of, right, we wanted to make them, but we didn't want to spend too much money. And then we just ended up making very little progress for a long time or relying on, on others who don't have as much experience to try to do things, you know, at a lower cost. I think 
once you have, you know, plan something out. So say, you know, we want to make a MEMS chip. We kind of lo- know what the, the design looks like, right? We, we have, we, we've looked at it from all angles. We're ready. Let's spend the money to make it, right? Let's do it because that's going to take us to the next step and going to give us momentum. And, and I feel like we, we kind of hesitated there for a while. And it was um, only once... Bruce joined and, and brought on um, his his uh, friend Juan Tai that we really got some started getting some good results because he has experience. But like, I wish we had done that ourselves. You know, it, it was Bruce that that helped us through that. So you know, being being ready to spend the money once you you know at the right time. Oh, awesome, and just generally speaking, you know, um, Fred. Piece of advice, anything that you'd want to communicate to our listeners, you know, about the startup journey, you know, being in tech, anything, what would it be? Um, yeah, I guess I guess one piece of advice that I can give is is to be uh, to be very open minded and curious about uh, about stuff. You know, in our case, uh, you know, we, we're working on this kind of uh, different way of capturing sound. But, you know, we, we're very curious about the way people are using current microphone to do what we do, right? And, uh, you know, when if, you, if, you, if you're curious long enough and if you dare to ask why to the people you talk to, you know, on the you know, you, you try getting good at extracting information out of people and that helps you have a better picture of your competition and understand the pros and cons of your technology. And, uh, you know, when it's when it's time to fundraise or maybe convince a customer, uh, you know, it's a good position to be in when you are like kind of the expert in the room. And it's not, it's not just, oh, let me pitch you this technology and let me, you know, do the sales pitch. So it's also about, okay, let me tell you how it works. Okay, let me tell you how current technology are and what's different exactly about about us and I think it's a much stronger position to be in especially when you are like a kind of technical lead in the company so that would be my you know I, I've seen some people who don't necessarily have this mindset of uh, you know people are you know falling in love with our own invention and maybe not seeing like objectively others uh, I guess my, my piece of advice my piece of, of advice would be to just try and be as objective as possible and you know um just look at other technology and understand them as well as you can and not just understand your technology. Amazing. And uh, Stefan, you know, when it comes to picking the right people to partner with, you know, what's some advice you share to our listeners? Trust your gut feeling. You know, I think that you learn a lot just from spending a bit of time with somebody, ideally in person. Um, If I think of, you know, who's on our team, I mean, so when I first met Sahil, you know, it was in the first two weeks, we were sitting beside each other and we just, we just got along. I don't know, we clicked. And even though we were working on different projects for six months, we got along and I felt like he was the only person at Tandem Launch that I could really, you know, start a company with. Um, so, right, that was my gut feeling. Then uh, Fred came along, right? And, and he also fortunately sat right beside us. Um, and it was the same thing. It was just like, we got along. I remember going, uh, you know, going to music festivals with Fred um, and just getting to know him. And it, it, it was like, it was almost like, um, Helge always says this, but like organic, it just had to happen. It wasn't like we were forcing anything. It was just going to happen. And then 
Bruce, it was kind of the same thing. We uh, So Sahil looked at about, I don't know, 200 CEO candidates. He interviewed them all. And then he's like, guys, I'm sick of this. You guys are going to help me out. He's like, every day I want five new candidates. And then the first day, I only gave him three because, um, you know, I was slacking. And one of those three was Bruce. And I mean, when we got off the call with Bruce, it was, we were like, yeah, this is our guy. You know, it was, so I don't know. I feel like every time someone's joined and then Juan Tai, um, you know, we've had some people join where it didn't work out for sure, but the people who have stayed and where it's really worked out, um, it's just been right away, you know, I could tell this is a person that I would want to work with and, and go through some tough struggles to, you know, to make this thing, make this company happen. Awesome. And it's a hill, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, being that anchor, you know, of, of positivity and optimism for the team, you know, if someone's working on a team and the mood's kind of down because of an obstacle or a setback, what's some advice you'd give them in order to lift everyone's spirits up? Well, um, you know, I, I don't know if I would say I'm the anchor per se. I mean, I think everyone, um, we, we all get along and we all bring each other up, even even me. Um, Just win $100,000 in six prizes. But, um, I don't know. Like, I, I guess I think back to, like, I, I guess early on when we were having, like, struggles with the, with the fab and stuff, I think back to some conversations, like, I had – with uh with Stefan and I don't know like what we're doing is tough you know it's it's supposed to be tough it's not supposed to be easy and like keep your keep your head up you know um I I still I mean it's I still have this uh, blind faith isn't the right the right way to phrase it but uh I I don't know I have this faith that it's gonna work out like I think we're fundamentally doing something disruptive i think we got a good team of people and i I think it's going to work out in the end and you know it might not be the smoothest ride to to get there but um you know it's going to work you know we're going to work at it and it's we're going to get there and just keep your head up you know through all the the dips I, i remember my uncle at one point gave me this piece of advice um before I started the, or before I joined Sanskrit. And it was a good piece of advice that kind of stuck with me, which was, um, it sounds kind of cliche, like uh, the the whole thing's like a roller coaster. But, you know, then after that, what he said was, um, when things go down, keep your head up because it's going to come back up. But then when things are going well, uh, stay humble too, because it's going to go right back down. Um, And I guess that's something that I've always tried to, uh, keep in mind and embrace throughout this whole this whole journey that's a bar you should be a rapper sale or a poet (laughs) (laughs) don't tell anyone yet you know fred Fred actually produces (laughs) oh Oh my god okay so we're we're gonna have to come off air because there's gonna be a freestyle battle between fred and sahil um and i'm looking forward to this you know parental 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 advisory On the next episode of The Launch, have you ever wondered why deals die within the 11th hour? Have you ever wondered what it's like to be in the mind of an investor while they're hearing a pitch? I had the chance to sit down with Code, an investor who was able to give the details of what it's like to be in his shoes in that very moment. What he likes, what he doesn't, red flags, and why annoying him on a particular day could spell doom for your VC funding. 
And so there's a couple things that I play here. First is VCs rarely kill deals um, if they're smart. Generally, what they say is not right now. And you'll hear that a lot as an entrepreneur. And and you'll rarely um, you'll rarely get a reason. Uh, sometimes, you know, actually, there's there's a bunch of reasons. But the, the most innocuous one is you're too early. And that's very frustrating to, to entrepreneurs. But what that really means is I'm just not interested in your deal. And the, the reasons for that are... Uh, surprising in some cases. 